Journey Church. Are you so glad to be here today? Come on, man. Hey, listen, can we just say this? God is amazing and worship was absolutely outstanding. Can we just celebrate that this morning, man? It's so good. Oh my goodness, so good. I appreciate Matt. I appreciate our worship team. And listen, it doesn't just stop there. So, so you know, I'm, I'm pastor over spiritual development and that encompasses life groups and that encompasses dream team. And I just would be remiss to not come out and celebrate our dream team because we celebrate the production team in the back and all the work that these guys do as well. Can we celebrate our parking guys on a rainy day? Can we celebrate our greeters and our ushers that have made sure that you guys have got a place to sit and it feels good in here? Yes, man. Hey, listen, everything that we do around here has intentionality to it. And it's not so that we can just have a great, pretty, clean place. That's, that's part of it. But we want intentionality to happen so because we want to enforce that God's People are important to us. And when we put intentionality into place in so many aspects, or let's just say all aspects of our life, we will see great things happen. And that's where we're heading today. As we're in this series called Right on the Money, we want to head into a a time of intentionality in our own lives as we talk about finances. And that's, that's an interesting topic, right? Because, because when we talk about money from the church, right, people get funny. Thank you, Pastor Mike. We do. Because right now, you didn't even want to laugh at that. You're like, we're talking about money again. It's a couple more weeks. But here's the thing. Is it's our perspective on these things that are going to change our mind. It's our perspective when we line ourselves up into life, where we see where God truly has us and why he has us here. So it will, turn, it will change in our mindset from being funny to being like, yes. Yes, I want to know these things because I want to be in my life. I want to be right on this money. And I want to say this to you right now. If you're in this room in this point of time right now and you say, Brandon, look, I don't have any struggles when it comes to money. I've always had tons of it. I woke up with it. I took a bath in it. Just flop around. I handed it out to people. I was dropping it on the pavement when I walked in this morning. There was some teenager picking it up. I mean, it, it's something. I've got tons of it. I don't struggle with this. I want to say this to you right now. You have my permission to, like, stand up and leave. It's okay. You, just, you don't need this. Right now, literally, somebody was like, I'm about to go to the bathroom, and now I'm not. Because <laughs> now I'm that guy. <laughs> or girl. You're not even going to get coffee. You can go in a minute. Anyway, the thing is this. this like, guys, here's why we want to make this a, a topic we want to talk about. is because we're all struggling at some different level. We're all struggling somehow in some way with money. And strug- the word struggle doesn't mean like I don't have it, I can't get it. It, mean, it may mean like my priorities really messed up. I do things with it I'm not supposed to do. I know this is wrong. The struggle is there. So we're going to cover this. And I understand, I'm with you, I understand that when, sometimes when a pastor begins to talk about money, it begins to feel weird. I remember as a child, anybody with me when you would pull the, the, the button out on the TV? Anybody remember that? And you would turn the knob, and you would bump the TV to keep it from you know, flipping. That's the generation I grew up in. I was the remote control for my dad growing up. Like, channel 3, okay. Sit down. He's like, I don't want to watch that. Okay, channel 27. You know, click through it. So I was that generation where we would run back and forth TV, and the, the very occasional time when I was actually truly sick on Sunday morning and couldn't make it to, to a church service with, with my parents, and one of them may stay or an older sibling would stay with me, 
um, you would turn the TV on, find a channel, and there was always a guy preaching. And sometimes it was, you know, okay, you wanted to hear it. But a lot of times you would hear these guys preach, and, and they would teach. They would always get to that part in the message where it was about money. It was always about giving and getting and those kind of things. And you would hear, and I'm going to just call him a preacher and not a pastor. I mean, I just, I just, it's going to feel better for me. Then say words like, send me $100. Well, first of all, that should like make your light bulb go off and go, why do you need $100? Um, you got a nice suit. Your hair's really hairsprayed really well. And so he would say, send me $100, and God is going to return your $100 a hundredfold. And, you know, at eight years old, even that math doesn't make sense. It's almost like, well, wait, why don't you send me $100, and then you get the hundredfold return? Like, that makes more sense. You'd be wealthy to do all kind of things. There were also these pastors that would pull out, like, the holy magic handkerchief. You ever seen that thing? And they would wipe sweat from their head, which is disgusting, because they would say, I'm going to send you this handkerchief for $25. And I'm like, they're two bucks at Walmart. <laughs> Clean. And if you send me $25, I'm going to send you this handkerchief, and it's going to heal your arthritis and your gingivitis. And now I'm thinking, why am I wiping your sweaty handkerchief on my mouth? This is crazy. This stuff doesn't make sense. Why does it not make sense? Because it's not truth. And as we sit and we hear truth, I'm not going to quote things to you that I haven't read in Scripture. And I want you to know that when you open the Word of God, it is truth. I believe that every word written on every page is truth. Because if it's not all true, it's all false. If one part of it's false, it voids all of it. And it's not. It's truth. I believe every word that is written. Because I believe that there is a God that loves us so much that even in the middle of our struggles and our financial turmoil and everything that's going on, that's right where he wants to meet us. So I'll say the second thing, this thing also, I'm not speaking from perfection or someone that has achieved this high status of money. I didn't fly in on my helicopter to come preach to you today. That would be cool, Pastor Mike, if I had a helicopter. I would probably crash it. And so I don't speak from that. I share from a guy who says, look, I'm in the trenches with you. We're still trying to figure these things out. And I, I'm seeing a lot of heads nod, so I feel like I'm amongst family. I'm amongst people that believe the same way I do and trust into the same thing we're going to. So we're going to jump in. We're going to have a good time. But would you pray with me first? Father, we thank you for today, God. We, God, we ask now that your spirit would continue to hover in this room. We need your presence, God. We need your words. We need your truth. Not what the enemy has told us. Not what this world tells us we need to do. God, we need you. And so would you speak clearly at this moment, God. Move me out of the way. Let your will be done in this service. And God, may, may your truth go forth today, God, and just explode in someone's life. God, I pray that today is the day of salvation for someone. Let it be done, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name alone. Amen. So how we use our financial resources, okay? This is something I want us to understand as we look and move forward. How we use our, the financial resources that we have is an act of worship or an act of unworship. There's somebody in this room that was an English major that just said, that's not a word. Unworship is not a word. I invented it. It's on Wikipedia. I put it in there. It's a word. We're going to make it a word today because it's either one of two things. It's either going to be an act of worship in your life, one act of worship, not the act of worship, one act of worship, or it's not going to be, which is an unact of worship. You have to decide this in your head. What are you going to do? And again, it's all going to come back 
So when we, when we look at Scripture and we see what Jesus did, so Matthew chapter 6, and I love this, Matthew chapter 6, and, and in chapter 5, Jesus goes and he is, he is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and he is sharing this, this lifestyle that he's calling us into. And I love that thousands of years ago, this was completely odd in their culture, because guess what it is, fast forwarding to today, it's odd in our culture to hear a man speak the way that Jesus did. And a lot of times we'll see this, and, and I'm sure just like people standing there listening to him, it's like, yeah, I agree with that. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Oh, man, that's, that's good. That, that makes me feel better about myself. Yay, Jesus. Money? Nah, bro, we ain't talking about money. My hands are in my pockets. I'm going to hold on to my money. See, because that's on me, Jesus. You, I mean, I, I could be nice to somebody. There's a soldier. Oh, yeah, I understand. I've got to carry his stuff for this length of time. I go a mile farther. I can do that. I can go twice as far. Turn the other cheek. That's not a problem. I got that. Money? Nope. Pulling that childish thing that we do. But he speaks into it. And he shares with us. Because he is talking into a culture that just there's no different than ours. We have a focus on the dollar. This people had a focus on the dollar. And Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, and we'll also read verse 24. Jesus says these words, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust can't destroy them, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. He's getting to the heart of the matter. Whatever you treasure in your life, that's where your heart is. You can't separate the two. And then in verse 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to what? Money. And Caesars are ruling at this time. Jesus is not going. You've got to serve God or Caesar. He is saying it's your money. And your heart is attached to your treasure. He's using terms that people would identify with. And treasure sounds like royalty. sounds like I have a lot. But when he says money, somebody's got some kind of money, whether it's very little, kind of in between, very, a lot. You know, we got the blue collar, we got the white collar, we got the gold tipped or whatever. We've got all these different terms we have for people that have a lot of money or, or not much money or work hard to get it. But we all have some amount of it. He is speaking directly into that. He's bringing our attention to this. So here's, here's one of the questions we want to ask today is how do you know if you're managing money or if money is managing you? We're going to look at two different ways. The first way we're going to look at this is the way that, that God has outlined for us. And then the second way is the way the world teaches us. Before we get to that, I think there's two myths that we have to just go ahead and debunk that maybe are sitting in this room. You may believe one, you may, may believe the other, but they're myths. There's something that, that Satan has told us, that this culture has brought into our attention, and it divides us. The first myth is this. I've got a lot of money. I don't have any struggles. Remember those people I said that could leave? Nobody left. They're still here. So that's a myth. If you have a lot, you're still going to struggle. And the second myth is this. I'm just trying to live paycheck to paycheck. It doesn't diminish the struggle that is there, whether you have too much or you don't have enough. The struggle is your intentionality and what you're doing with it. Struggling with money is more about your heart than your circumstance. 
And it's what Jesus said. Wherever your treasure is, the desire of your heart will be there also. So we're all struggling with money in different ways. But who is going to rule? What master is going to have control over us? So let's look at the first sign. Signs that you're managing God's money. And we're going to go ahead and just put it on the table. We're going to talk about the first thing first. God first. So what the world will tell you is, let's look at all the reasons why the world tells you these things, and then we're going to flip it, and we're going to talk about God very little. No, we're going to talk about God a lot. Signs that you're managing God's money. And the difference in this is our perspective. And so we have to, when we think about managing God's money, it's not ours, we have to think about our perspective. And the perspective is this. When you do something and you earn a wage, when you do something and you make an income, who gave you the ability to do that? Who gave you the opportunity and the ability to get to that job, to have that skill, to have the legs to walk in, the hands to do something, the mouth to speak with? Whatever it is that you do, who gave you that ability? Our perspective has got to be God first. So when we think the ways of money, when we think the ways of, of how to use it appropriately, it's his money. And when it's his and he's given me the ability to make it and, I bring it, and, and, and it's what I'm managing and stewarding, now my perspective is more about him than it is on me. And it helps us understand a couple things. Number one, spending decisions are planned and prayerful. We need a plan that matches the heart of God. One of the leading causes of divorce in this country is money and financial issues. We are sacrificing um, horrible financial decisions on this altar of divorce. When repentance is right there. And saying, God, I tried to do it my way, and obviously it's not working. I need you. I need you to be the one to, to help me in this. And then apologizing and, and, and then just focusing on him, getting the help that you need. There are phenomenal financial planners and people out there that will help you in, in your struggles. Having a, having a spending decisions that are planned and prayerful. Teenagers, young adults, college students, for you, don't fall into the trap of every time you make some, some kind of money or, or there's a small amount given to you, you have to go and blow it immediately. You find something that you want, and it's $100. You work just enough to make $100, so now everything's gone. Your priorities are, are completely out of whack. You're not, you're not praying and, and looking at your plan of what you need to be doing. It's, it's, it's a struggle. And this is where we just continue to look at everything being level. It is a struggle that we have. The next thing is that you prioritize the use of money in this order. And I want us to really see this. This is, this is mind-blowing. And this is, again, this is how the priority of God is in us in, in money. It's giving is first. And then there's savings. And then debt. Debt in and of itself is not always a bad thing. We just have to be able to manage it. And again, I'm going to go back to our, our young adults and our college students and you that have filled out the application for college and you've sent it in and you've done stuff online and you've sent it in and you're hoping and waiting and there's no, oh, I want to go to this college. Oh, they didn't send me a letter. I want to go to this college. They're not sending me a letter. But there is a, there's a institution out there that will send you tons of letters. You will open up your mailbox or your parents' mailbox and you'll find several letters in there from the institution of Chase Bank, the institution of MasterCard, the institution of Visa, Discover, and they will send you acceptance that universities haven't sent to you. And they'll say, congratulations, you are pre-approved for $1,000, although you have no job. And you think, wow, free money. And you start filling those out. It is so easy now to even get on the phone and just fill them out with your thumbs. 
and send them in. You get like three letters, a couple digits, boom, instant credit. And that is the debt that will soak you down. Because now you're not living in freedom. And they'll tell you that. We have a credit card called Freedom. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. You're free to swipe it. And you're free to pay it back if you choose so. You know how many thousands of Americans don't? And that debt continues to snowball and continues to grow. And so something that would cost you $100 over the course of months and maybe in a year ends up costing you $500, $700. And now you're not even using it anymore. It's this philosophy of these things that we wage war and we have to have today. The new phones, the new technology in two years from now will be, be sitting in a garbage pile somewhere just rotting away. And we did everything we could to get it. And it's not helping us do anything. So we prioritize giving, saving, debt, taxes. Has anybody met FICA? I was introduced to FICA in my first job. I I sold furniture. I delivered furniture. I unloaded furniture at a little mom-and-pop furniture store where I'm from in Mississippi. And I remember thinking, you know, back in the early 90s when I heard, I'm going to pay you $5.25 an hour. And I was like, "Woo, man, that's like, because it was like three-something was minimum wage back then. I'm like, man, I'm making some money. And I remember the hours I worked and, you know, multiplying that up. I mean, I was in high school. I could multiply. And um, so I did that, and then I got my first check. And it's like, here you go. And I went, that's not right. And then Miss Ann Towery, the lady that, that ran the books for the store I worked at, she said, well, Brandon, see, there's things you have to pay these taxes. And she told me about this guy named FICA, and I wanted to go fight FICA because <laughs> FICA was taking my money. I don't know why FICA was mad at me, but he wanted it. And guess what? FICA's still getting it. Anybody, getting, anybody want to go fight FICA? Thank you. We are amongst friends. And you need to know that these things are there. All right? So we're giving, saving. We pay debt, taxes. And then, lastly, is living. And this is not where we are. But again, we're talking about managing God's money. The way God wants us to. And it's this, this little rhyme. Matt Knapp taught me this this week. He, I said, hey, man, take a look at this. Tell me what you think. He goes, man, this is something that, that I learned when we were doing our financial stuff. And it, it's this little rhyme that goes this way. Giving, saving, living. Say it with me. Giving, saving, living. One more time. Giving, saving, living. He said, man, since I've learned that little rhyme, when I sit down and I think about our money and, and, I, and I keep it in that perspective, that little rhyme comes to my brain and it helps me. And prioritization of how we do the money that God's given us. And I thought, man, that's just good. I've got to include that. So we want to keep that in our mind because it's giving, savings, debt, taxes, then living. It comes last. When we think about the words of Jesus, you know, don't think of yourself so high. The first will be last, but the last will be first. It's a subversive mindset that Jesus teaches us about his kingdom. I've never seen Jesus ever lower the bar on anybody. Oh, you've heard it written that you shouldn't murder. But I tell you, even if you look upon someone and you have hate in your heart, it's as if you've murdered them. Like, what? And then he gets the question about women and adultery, and he did the same thing. He's like, well, you guys think it's down here, because that one's just really easy to tiptoe over. No, actually, it's right up here. Because even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, man, it's this subversive mindset. It's the world screaming at us and telling us exactly what it wants us to do. And Jesus going, no, it's this way. He does it so calmly. 
Man, we just fight against it. Another thing, when we're, signs that we're managing God's money is that you don't constantly compare what you have to your neighbors or, their, or your family. Do you know that no one lives their struggle out on social media? I've been blessed in ministry, <laughs> or cursed maybe, and to see this social media um, evolution that has happened from way back in the days of typing on a desktop computer and seeing it to now it's on your phone and you just have it instantly. But I have never, and, I'm, and, and not that it hasn't happened, but from my eyes, I've never seen a picture of a kitchen table or a desk or a living room where papers are everywhere and there's like the financial statement and all the bills and somebody taking a picture and like, you know, with everything going on and saying, don't know how I'm going to make it to the end of the month. Selfie. You know, they're not, no one's doing that. No one's living out their struggle on social media. We see the family smiling like, and what we don't see is the bubble above mom's head going, I'm going to kill every one of you kids. I'm going to punch your daddy in the mouth. And I may make some more just like you. Who knows? But we, but we know that struggle is there because if we've done family photos, like driving there is one thing. Driving home is total silence and we need counseling. And so... But that's the struggle. We only see the beauty. And I find freedom in, in looking at social media and go, man, I'm so happy for these guys and the vacations that they're on. And I have to make myself say that because you know what the world says? Why don't you have that? Why don't you have that big, nice house? Don't you deserve it? You've been married almost as long as they have or longer than they have. And it's those whispers from Satan that will continue to drive us down and constantly compare. We don't need to be looking at what everyone else has. When you are looking at what everybody else has on social media, you are robbing yourself the joy of being satisfied in Christ. It's being taken away from you, ripped away from you, because you're buying into the lie. You're listening to Satan. God doesn't have that for you. The happiness and contentment that you think you're perceiving, you think you're seeing in someone's life, really isn't there. How do I know that? Because happiness and contentment can't be bought. It can't be. If it could, we wouldn't have commercials on TV screaming at us every day. This afternoon, I will go home, I will find time, I will turn on the TV and try to watch a football game. And every commercial, something is going to be screaming at me saying, you want this, you need this, you got to have this, this is the life, this is the best. I have seen medicine commercials where the medicine and the illness doesn't line up with the joy I'm seeing in front of me. People riding horses and smiling, and I'm looking at this medicine and what it treats, that doesn't go together. You shouldn't be smiling about that. Some of you are laughing because you've seen the same commercial. Like, that don't make sense. But it is screaming at you because it believes that if you get this, whatever, whatever they're advertising, doesn't matter. If you just get this one thing, you'll be so happy. If you get this new iPhone with three cameras that looks like a messed up dinosaur, you will be so happy. What you will have is a phone financed for two years that you want to get rid of and get the new one, iPhone 12. They're giving you the number they're coming out with. It's just a phone. But that is where we get our, our, our stuff messed up because we're not thinking about it as God's. We're keeping it in our minds. And so now we move on to the, the next area. So we've seen signs that you're managing God's money. Now let's look at the signs that money is managing you, me. Us. It's managing all of us, okay, when we have these things out of whack. So we've seen where Jesus has in the subversive kingdom of turning it upside down. Let's look at what the world tells us. Our first priority is this, living. It's not giving. 
Our first priority when money is managing us is that we just want to live. We just want to survive. We just want to pay the bills. We'll make sure we're okay. Got to keep the lights on. Got to keep this going. Got to do this. Got to do this. Got to do this. And then we find ourselves standing and it's like, hey, could you give $5 for this? And like, no, I can't because I'm too busy living. Because all this life that the world's told me I needed, I've got. And now I've got to pay for all this life that's draining the life out of me. Another sign that money is managing you, you have quick, reactive spending. And that's spending the money we're not thinking about. We don't count the cost before we hand money over. That's something I, I really actually like cash. Cash is king. We all get that. Dave Ramsey. But if you have it in your hand, you can actually count the cost of what it costs out of your hand. If you have a 20 and it's $19, you may go, I don't know. I don't want to spend that much. But if all we do is reach up and swipe, we may not be. I mean, that, in your, for some people's minds, it does work that way. Your brain's like a computer and you always got a flow chart going. And I admire you. I don't want to be you, but I admire you. Um, but for me, the cash is great because it's automatically, I know what's there. The wallet feels different, so I know when it's gone. But counting the cost, regardless if you're physically doing it or emotionally doing it, doesn't matter. You've got to count the cost before you spend it. So quick, reactive spending is not going to help you manage money. That's just money managing you. I was always amazed at my children when I would hand them money. I mean, young. You hand them a $10 bill. Do your kids ever do this? Hand them a $10 bill, and you say, hey, um, did, you, did you get money back? Yeah, Dad, they gave me more money than you gave me. Then they're losing money. And they start going, no, they handed me back four ones. It's like they don't understand the concept of one piece of paper that has value higher than just four ones. Like a ten is worth more than four ones. But all they're seeing is the numeric value in front of them. I'm still praying they stop thinking that way. They're going to be broke. That's why they spend their own money. Another thing where money is managing you is you feel like you never have the funds to give or save. When money's managing you, that's why it's an or. You can't give it away, but you can't save it because you're living. You're giving it. You're just constantly finding ways to make more to cover more things. Finding ways to make more money to cover more debt. Finding ways to make more money to have more fun. And then be miserable to try to work harder to pay off the fun that you think you had because now you're in debt and that's not fun. It's managing us. And again, Satan is loving this. And you feel like you never have the funds to give or save is because your priority is what? Living. And you're really dying. And you don't know it. And you prioritize your use of money this way. Remember I said Jesus is always flipping upside down. Look at this. You prioritize money first. Living. Taxes. Growing debt. Little to no savings. And absolutely no giving. When you look at Matthew six nineteen through 20, that helps us shape the theology of, of the life of sacrificial giving. And your rhyme flips to this, living, saving, get. Well, actually, no, we don't give because we don't have anything left. We don't really have a lot to save, so it's just living, 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 living. And it's not what God has for us. Stewarding money is an aspect of discipleship. When we read the Word of God and we see Jesus talked about money, oh my goodness, he talked about it a lot. I guess he had a lot thicker skin than a lot of us do today, but he addressed the issue of finances often. 
because he knew that it was an issue for people. The almighty dollar, like, there's a reason these terms live. And I love that term of stewarding money. And when you look up what it means to steward, it means in charge of, to look after, be responsible for. And again, thinking in perspective of how God has lined this out for us, when you think of the words like in charge of, who gave you the charge? Look after, who gave you the thing to look after? Responsible for, who, who made you responsible? It was God. So when we can put him at the top of saying, you've given it all to me, and yet you're requiring, honestly, just so little. He's not shocked that you are where you are. He's not shocked that you make what you make and you do what you do. He's not shocked by any of that, that you live in a country that is so rich. Pastor Mike had us say that last week, right? We're rich. Say it again. Some of you don't believe it. (laughs) You need to. I've been to a couple countries in this world, and I'm telling you, we are so spoiled here. Even when we think we don't have, we do. Because it's all about perspective. And I have seen some of the poorest countries, poorest villages, happiest people. Because they live a better representation of Acts 2, 42 through 47, than I've probably ever seen anywhere else. They just live it. Man, it's our perspective. So how does this active participation and understanding of generosity help in our struggle with money? And again, we're all struggling at some level. Here's a couple of next steps I want us to have moments of of takeaway today. Number one, giving leads to contentment. Giving leads to contentment. Remember, contentment can't be bought. It's something that we have to give away so that we can lean into the joy, the blessing of giving. Contentment doesn't come from getting enough. Contentment comes from saying, I have what I need. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, and he says this, Now that I was, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is full of, whether it's a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And this is the one we all know. It's for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Everything I can do. And he's not saying, listen, you can do everything through Jesus if you just say the name of Jesus and go do it. He's saying, listen, I understand what this thing is of contentment because I've been with, I've been without, I've been hungry, I've been full, I've been poor, I've been kind of rich, I've had no, no houses, I've had houses, I've had this, I've had not had this. And he's like, in all situations, no matter what, I'm going to be content with Jesus because he has me right, right here at this place at this time. And this is Paul teaching. This is a guy that's in prison most of the time when he's writing these books to us. And he's saying, hey, I'm content, I'm happy, I'm in prison. And I'm still giving, I'm still going, I'm still serving. It's also the guy that when he was in prison, and prisons, again, you talk about a subversive kingdom. Prisons in biblical times don't work like they do now. You know, this whole FICA thing, like we're paying for prisoners and covering things for them. And and, and, and there's a lot of stuff that goes into that, I understand. But in biblical times, if Paul's sitting in prison and the church doesn't send money, Paul dies in prison. The church was rallying around and sending money to him so that he could continue to stay healthy and could continue to write and continue to build churches and build up the body of Christ. I mean, that's a subversive mind right there to think that this is what we're going to do is we're going to send money to a guy that's been arrested. And we're not going to wait on the government to take care of him. We're going to take care of him. And so that's why he can write these things. 
He didn't know where the money was coming from. But he was content. Second step is this, is that giving is a great antidote to greed. Giving is a great antidote to greed. I've heard the statement, you're never more like Christ than when you're serving and when you're giving. Because we see a man who literally left the throne of heaven to join this earth for 33 years to give it all for humanity. To give it all to satisfy his father. And you want to look like Jesus, you want to act like Jesus, then serve and give. This is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. It says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or are practicing homosexuality or are thieves. Here we are. This is us. Okay. Are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. In this culture that's in Corinthians, Paul is addressing so many things that are going on because everything he's talking about is happening in front of him. He's seeing a group of people that are out doing all these things that he's outlined. He's not just picking these sins out of the air. He is seeing it fleshed out, lived out in front of him. And it spans very, very wide and very, very deep of godlessness. And he says this, verse 11, I'm telling you right now, I mean, chill, chill bumps all over my body right now looking at this. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, some of you were once like that. Man, when I read that, my eyes opened, and I began to look back, and oh my goodness. I mean, he didn't just pick one, and I don't have that one, Paul, sorry. I mean, there's, oh my goodness. Some of these, I've done these. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Have you received the calling from God? Have you been cleansed from all unrighteousness? I mean, if you have, let's celebrate that. Anybody out there got Jesus in them? I mean, let's, for a moment, let's ponder that. You were once over here the worst of the worst. You look at some of that stuff and you're like, oh, I don't know, man. I thought we were talking about money. You're talking about the S word. So much of it is good because it's sin. It separates. It divides us. Paul says, but that was you. You were once like that, but you were cleansed. You no longer have to live like that. You no longer have to be a part of these things. It is the antidote to greed. And the last thing is that giving is a ministry that expresses thankfulness to God, and it meets the needs of others. We typically don't shy away when we see someone in need. We try to find a way to do something to help. I find myself in hospitals or, or, or talking to people, and they're sharing. I was like, well, what is something I can do to help? And can I just be a little honest with you guys? I'm, I'm going to be honest, just straight, transparent with you. A lot of times in the front of my head, not in the back, but in the front of my head, I'm thinking, please don't ask me for money. And can I be dead honest with you? You know what people never ask for? Money. When I'm sincerely looking them in the eyes and say, what can I do to help? I hear things like, can you pray for me? Do you know of a job? Do you know, I mean, I, I just need a place to sleep. If I just had clothing, if I had... And I'm like, Brandon, why are you so naive, man? 
God can supply all our needs. And the heart of the matter is always the heart. So we've got to have this giving ministry mindset. For uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 9, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you what? Rich. Jesus gave everything to us so that we could be rich. It's not, we can't measure it with money. If you were to ask someone, if you, someone to say to me, Brandon, what's your salvation worth? Is it a million dollars? Oh my goodness. When I ponder the thought of what's my salvation worth, I want to hit my knees. I want to look to the heavens and just exclaim, I don't have a value on it. I just want to say, thank you, Jesus. There's no money that can equate to that. He paid it all. All my sins are counted void. They're nullified. They're gone because of what Jesus Christ did for me. But can I share some good news with you, church? It didn't stop there. He did it for you. He gave it all for you. We must trust God. We must manage God's money His way as an act of worship. It is an act of worship when we prioritize the finances, when we prioritize our life the way God's called us to. It is an act of worship. Don't let Satan lie to you. Don't let him tell you that it's not. It is. Don't let him tell you all they want to talk about is money. They need your money. Man, my God made this, made everything we see with the snap of his fingers and a, a spoken word. He doesn't need nothing from me. But you know what he does? He invites us into a service with him. Man, now that brings joy. When we, when we look at our finances, when we truly believe that everything we have is because of God, and our perspective is right. Listen, church, we're going to be right on the money. We're going to be right on his money. And you will never experience more joy in your life than when you're like Jesus and you're giving and you're serving and you're sacrificing. I promise you, it will change your life. I referenced earlier that, you know, I wasn't a believer all my life. From the birth... Even when I was in, the, in my mother's tummy, um, she was the organ player in our church. And my dad served on uh, deacon uh, committees, and he served the church that way. And so from birth, I mean, I was, I was always in church. There, my parents actually left me on the front pew and drove home and had lunch one Sunday, and I just slept. Um, you know, after four kids, you're just like, oh, well. And so growing up in church and, and, and hearing everything and being a part of it didn't, did not make me a Christian, did not make me a believer. I had to come to the point in my life when I had to place all my faith, all my trust um, in Jesus and truly believe that he was the only one that was going to be able to change me, to take me from death into life is what Scripture teaches us. So um, 15 years old and in Mississippi, you could get your driver's license at 15 back then, and that law has changed um, probably because of people like me, but that law changed. And so, but at 15, you get your driver's license. And I remember um, it was October. I'd had my license probably about four or five months. And uh, a revival was happening in our church. I was in a very small church in the, out in the county in Mississippi called Richmond Baptist Church. And 
Sunday night, preachers preaching, not hearing a word, sit on the back row, this side of the church, all the way in the back, drawing pictures, writing notes, you know, teenage things. Um, whole group of people on one or two rows there. Monday night, writing notes, talking. Tuesday night, writing notes, talking. Wednesday night, I don't think I missed one word that that pastor said. Because for some reason, the Holy Spirit was like, right here, listen up, listen up. People were trying to hand me things. I said, no, I don't want it. And I remember that night, man, I still get emotional thinking about it because Jesus is so great. But I remember hearing an invitation to salvation, and I stepped out beside the window, and the pews were here, and I just went walking, and I grabbed my dad. I said, come on. And I had these two men. I had my dad and the, and the guy preaching, and literally I thought they were trying to talk me out of it. You've been in church all your life. Surely, you know, all these different things. And I, and I had friends tell me this, that they could hear me from the back of the church say the words, I am going to die and go to hell if I don't receive Jesus. I want salvation. And so I'm telling you, that night, Brandon, for 15 years, no longer existed. And life in Jesus began at the age of 15. Jesus changed my life. It's all glory to him. That same night, I go and get in my, my, in my truck, and I drive out of the parking lot, go down the road, and go out to the two-lane highway, and to turn left to get on the little, little highway right there, I turned and never once looked right. And I heard screeching tires, I saw dust go flying, and a car comes beside me. And I get out, and I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't see you. And the guy says, man, if I hadn't been paying attention and I'd hit you, I probably would have killed you. And I knew this. When, my declaration of the church, if I don't do this now, I will die and go to hell. And I didn't know 30 minutes later that what, what the devil was meaning probably to happen in my life was for that to happen. So I don't know why it didn't. But I'm still here. I didn't hit. Thank goodness he was an older man and was very much paying attention. But I knew if I had, and I hadn't, if I had died right then, guess what? I'm like, let's go, man. I'm with Jesus. Y'all cry, but I'll be fine. But had I not received the free gift of salvation. You want to talk about generosity? There's no bigger giver in this world than God. There's no one bigger than him. No one can give any more than he has. And he continually, the sacrifice of Jesus is continually, I want you. I want you. Will you, will you receive? This is freedom. Will you come get it? This is life. Not what Satan's telling you. Not what those commercials tell you. Not what your neighbors got. Not what's on social media. I have life everlasting for you. Will you come get it? And guess what? My dad couldn't answer that question for me that night in October. The pastor preaching couldn't answer that question for me. My friends on the back row sure couldn't answer that question for me. It was me. You will do the same. Bow your heads for me. And what I want you to do is just symbolically kind of draw a circle around yourself. Because this is you. This is about you. This is about your relationship to Jesus. No one else. If you were to die today, right now on Sunday, where would you spend eternity? None of what we've shared from the stage and, and how to give according to God is going to make sense until you have Jesus living inside of you. It doesn't work. Without the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, without the leading of God, without the sacrifice of Jesus, you still won't have joy in giving. 
You need a Savior. You need Jesus. Today can be the day of salvation for you. Today, right now, you can go from, as the Bible describes, death. You are dead in your transgressions and sins. It separates you from spending eternity with Jesus. But the free gift of salvation, Jesus gives life to you. And that can happen right now. The Bible teaches clearly in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it is that confession right there where Jesus will enter into your life, enter into your heart, and change you eternally. And it's just an ask, and it's a receive. And it's a free gift. If that's you today and you want to pray to receive Christ as your Savior, if you wouldn't, you could just slip your hand up real quick. You can show that. Amen. Amen. Listen, I truly believe it. I told you, I've said it before. Every word in this Bible is truth. If it's not, it's all false. I believe every word of it. And the Word of God is truth. Jesus loves you so much. He gave it all for you. And it's no work you will do. It's a free gift. If you raised your hand for salvation, we have a room in the back called the VIP room. We have people that would love to meet with you, talk with you, to hug your neck, to celebrate with you. Maybe this morning... It's not an issue of salvation in your life. Maybe this morning you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm not right on the money. I've got things so far out of whack. I just, I just need prayer. I just need to talk. I need to share with somebody. You can find that same counsel in that room back there. We would love to listen to you and pray for you and encourage you. But again, the heart of the matter is always the heart. And your first step in correction is that, a step. Because we love you and we want to express love to you. Father, I thank you for today, God. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice, for your life, for your desire to reside on this earth and to walk and to teach and to talk and to love and to express and to share and to give. And Jesus, we so thank you for your, for your obedience to the cross. We thank you for your sacrifice. But, oh, Jesus, it didn't stop there. Your body laid lifeless for three days until your father said, it's enough. And you resurrected from that tomb. You conquered death. You stomped on the head of Satan. Lord Jesus, thank you for being obedient through death, through resurrection. Thank you for loving us enough to do that, to pay the price we deserve. thank you for salvation this morning and we thank you Lord Jesus that you give us life thank you thank you Jesus in your name, Amen